Uh, good evening, everyone, and thank you, Sarah. Uh, this is week three of uh, our series, Revealed, and for anyone who's visiting or maybe new to this, uh, we're spending some Sunday nights, not exactly sure how many Sunday nights, but certainly a number of them, looking at various incidents in the life of Jesus, because according to Scripture, Jesus reveals the invisible God. The way Paul puts it in Colossians 1 is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, or the writer to Hebrews in chapter 1 says that he is the exact representation of God. And therefore, by reading and thinking again about kind of specific incidents and events and encounters, we can increase and we can expand our, our knowledge and our understanding of God so that we can get to know God better. Uh, but there's another dimension to this series that I haven't made a lot of so far, but, but one of the privileges and key responsibilities that we have as Christians today is that we can reveal God to others via our lives, those of us who are Christians. When Jesus returned home to be with his Father, he left his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to empower us, to be his witnesses. And therefore, and we all know this, but we, we therefore ha we, we have the opportunity, the daily opportunity to point our families and our friends and our colleagues to God. We can reveal God to those around us via our words and via our attitudes and via our actions. And so by looking at these gospel episodes, we, we don't just see how Jesus revealed God to others. We also gain an insight how, into how we might do that better, how we might do that more effectively. So last week, we looked at John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. This week, we're in John chapter 4, and it's another occasion when water features strongly and provocatively. And so if you have a Bible, I could invite you to turn to that chapter, John chapter 4. It's page 1066 in, in the Pew Bibles, and we're going to stand, as we often do at Windsor, for the public reading of what I realize and reckon and know is a, is a familiar story. But let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll start in at verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his son's and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water 
so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said there, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Grab a seat. There are at least three topics of conversation during this encounter. Three intriguing issues that get discussed. The first is water. The second is this woman's private life. And the third is worship. And as a result of what is said by Jesus and to Jesus about those three subjects, this woman experiences a profound life change. And not only that, but it leads to the transformation of many people in our hometown. And the incident begins, and we know this, with Jesus crossing boundaries, as he regularly did. For a start, he opts for a non-traditional route to Galilee, which takes him through Samaria. It says in the text he had to go to Samaria but as many people know, that's not necessarily the case. This is not the route he would have normally chosen, or anybody from a Jewish background would have normally chosen, but, but for Jesus, he did. But the most surprising aspect of this story is the fact that he initiates a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And she ex herself acknowledges this as a praise. At the end of, of verse 9, she, she recognizes, what are you doing? Why are you asking me for a drink? And John, the storyteller, he notes that this is, this is strange because he adds that little bit. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And then if you jump down to verse 27, if you have a Bible open, we didn't read verse 27, but when the disciples come back, they are surprised to find Jesus not just talking to this particular woman, but it says in the text, talking to a woman, any woman. But you see, to Jesus, there was no such thing as a no-go area. Nowhere was out of bounds. And the idea of avoiding certain people because they were different, well, that was just an alien concept. This wouldn't be the last time Jesus would meet and talk to and spend time with people that led others to point fingers and spread rumors and call into question his character and his behavior. And so on one occasion, Jesus is described as a glutton and he's a drunkard and he's a friend of sinners. 
And none of those terms were meant to be compliments. But for Jesus, people mattered. Individuals mattered, whoever they were, wherever they came from, whatever their background. And so he breaks through social convention. He dismantles barriers and he puts his reputation on the line and he asks this woman for a drink. He starts the dialogue. And it takes everybody by surprise. And it seems like a straightforward enough request at one level, especially given that they're sitting beside a well. And it says it's the height of the day, it's noon. But almost immediately, Jesus takes the conversation to a whole other level. He introduces two pretty arresting ideas. He offers the gift of God and living water. Well, what are those two things? If you knew, says Jesus, the gift of God, well, that was probably a reference to himself. You see, if you go back a chapter, John 3, 16, we read that Jesus is the love gift of God. And according to Jesus here in verse 10 of of John 4, if only this woman knew that, then she would have been first to ask for a drink. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew me, then you would have been first to ask for a drink before I did. And then Jesus tells her that if she had got her order in first, he would have given her living water. That kind of grabs her attention. She's interested, but but she's confused. And the reason she's confused is, as she looks at Jesus, he's got no means to draw water of any kind. And so where is this living variety going to come from? And at this point, Jesus explains what would have been the radical head-spinning difference between the water that's in this well that they're sitting beside and the stuff that he's now offering. You see, this Jacob's well water will quench your thirst, but you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to need, if you drink from this well, to keep tracking back here. But you see, if you drink the water I'm offering, you'll never thirst again. And why? Well, he tells her, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, if you internalize this water that I'm offering you, it will become a spring. It will well up from within. You're not going to have to go anywhere to get it. It's going to well up from within you to eternal life. It will become a constant supply that's going to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. I love the way Peterson translates this verse in the message. Everyone who drinks the water will get thirsty again and again, absolutely. Anyone who drinks the water I will give them will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within gushing fountains of endless life. An artisan spring, amongst other things, produces a constant supply of water. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the living water that he offers, once you drink it, once you consume it, it will give And it will keep giving life, eternal life, real life, life as it was meant to be. And and no wonder then this woman orders it. Give me some of that. Verse 15, does she totally get it? Does she totally understand it? Unlikely, but she continues the conversation. 
But at this point in the story, I want to kind of press pause for a few seconds because we, reading this story years later, can't really move on in light of what we know or what we discover three chapters later. And I know some of you are already there in your thinking. Because in John chapter 7, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so Jesus said, listen, is anybody thirsty? Spiritually thirsty, spiritually dry, spiritually parched, then come to me and drink. Well, hi, how do you drink Jesus? Well, this drinking's about believing. And that connects and adds up to John 3, 16. God so loved the world that who, he gave his only son that whoever does what? Believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Here in John 7, rivers of living water will flow from those who believe. And just to enhance our kind of understanding of exactly what he means to this, Jesus then goes on in verse 39 of John chapter 7 to say this, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So this living water is the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the artisan spring now located in every believer. That's what we believe, isn't it? That's what Jesus has taught us. And one other point before we get back to Sychar, we who are believers are not only recipients of this living water, not only drunk of this living water, and it's now within us, springing up to life as it was meant to be, life in all of its fullness, eternal life. We are not only recipients, we are its conduit. Because the Spirit of God not only works in us, but doesn't He work through us? He works through us with our friends and our families and our neighbors as we express love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. We are conduits of this living water. So if you're thirsty, if you're spiritually parched, if you're in need of a drink, take a swig of this living water. Believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Quench your dryness. And then back to the well, because all of a sudden, I know we had to take a break on that, and let's go back to the story, because we're not entirely sure how the woman processed all of this. We know that from John chapter 7 and what Jesus subsequently goes on to say, but, but she didn't know that. So we go back to the well, and all of a sudden, Jesus takes the conversation in a different direction from water, and she says, he says, listen, go get your husband and come back here. Now, if there was one subject that this woman probably didn't want to talk about, it was her love life. She says, I've got no husband, which was right. And she probably hoped, well, that answer will have drawn a line under that particular subject. And you can only imagine how she must have felt whenever Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband, relief. And then he goes on, the fact is you've faith. You've had faith. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, is quite true. But you know, as the conversation moves on, and I really want us to note this, 
But as the conversation moves on, Jesus doesn't make any comment about her private life. So I've, I've heard a number of sermons on this where, where people go, people speak about the immorality of this woman's life. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't judge her. Jesus didn't condemn her in any shape or form. The point here is he knew everything about her. He knew her, which is why whenever she goes into the town, she says, come and see someone who told me everything I ever did. He knows me. He knew me. And this in itself challenges her because despite all he knows, he still talks to her. He doesn't withdraw the offer of living water. He continues the conversation. You see, Jesus knows us. He knows everything about you and I. Our public lives, our private lives, our secret lives. Everything. Nothing's hidden from Jesus. Nothing's out of sight or under wraps. He knows it all. And this isn't the first time in John's gospel that we discover that. In chapter 2, whenever Jesus cleared the temple, we read these two closing verses. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need a testimony about mankind, for he knows what is in each person. Jesus knows every single one of us. Completely. He sees right through us. And the question is, and this, I believe, is the question of this story. The question is, do we know him? Do we know and accept who he is? Are we prepared to know and accept who Jesus is? That's what is at the heart of this story. Jesus knew this woman completely, and here he is helping her to come to know him. And back to the conversation, because the woman's reaction to Jesus knowing everything about her. He hasn't condemned her. He hasn't judged her, but he knows everything about her, about her love life, her home life. And so what does she declare? Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Her eyes are beginning to open. Her heart is softening. But then she moves the conversation on to the really critical and important issue of worship, true Worship, verse 20, because her religious background taught and dictated that worship takes place on this mountain. But she says, according to Jewish tradition, it's got to happen in Jerusalem, doesn't it? So who's right? Who's right? It's a serious question, and Jesus gives a serious answer, but again, it would have sent shockwaves through the people's belief system. It would have actually sounded like complete heresy because according to Jesus, the time was coming. And then this next phrase, and has now come. Whenever true worshipers, and that's an interesting phrase in itself, whenever true worshipers would no longer head for a specific location, but would worship the Father in what? In the Spirit and in truth. Now, notice that it's not just worship that the Father seeks, but it's worshipers. It, it, it's people. God seeks relationship. God seeks reconnection with human beings. 
Bono haven't quoted him in a while. Put it like this. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for a real relationship with people. And it is. The Father, according to Jesus, is seeking true worshipers, people. Those who worship him in the Spirit. And presumably, giving what we have just said based on John 7, this means in the Spirit that Jesus offers that flows from within us, that flows from the heart. So in other words, Spirit-led, heartfelt, sincere, inside-out worship. This is what the Father seeks. And in terms of in-truth, Again, you fast forward in John's gospel to grasp the full picture and we discover that truth is to be embodied in Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth. And I am the way. So whatever else this means in terms of worship, do you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's why we sometimes sing we're coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus in the Spirit, heartfelt, sincere, inside-out, Spirit-led worship. And it's in truth. It's in Jesus. And at this point, the woman, her head's spinning. She, she's finding it hard to keep up. And so she says, do you know, the Messiah's coming, and he's going to explain everything to us. <laughs> I love that. The Messiah called to Christ. He's coming, and he's going to explain everything to us. And what's Jesus' response? This is the first and the only time in John's gospel where Jesus confirms he is the Messiah. And so in verse 26, he says, I, the one who's speaking to you right now, I am he. Jesus reveals his identity to a Samaritan woman. And now not only does Jesus know who she is, but she knows who Jesus is? In our translations, I know it reads, I am he. Apparently in Greek, his answer simply reads, I am. I am. Which is more than a hint towards the fact that Jesus reveals the great. I am. And the upshot of this encounter well, not only does this woman believe in Jesus, Jesus knows her, he knows everything about her, but she now knows him. She now believes in him. And as a result of her testimony, we read that many of the Samaritans from that hometown believed in him as well. And jump down to verse 42, and they say, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And therefore, as we reread this story, we discover that even someone as unlikely as this nameless Samaritan woman, or as unlikely as me, or as unlikely as you, is seen by Jesus, is loved by Jesus, is known by Jesus, and can know Jesus by believing in him receiving his living water which satisfies our deepest thirst. And not only that, we can be enabled 
to help and reach others to see and know Jesus for themselves. So apart from all I've said as we've tracked this story, what does Jesus reveal about God in this incident? God sees beyond boundaries. God loves people. They matter. You matter. God knows everything about you, everything you've ever done. God is the ultimate water provider and thirst quencher. He is the one who gives eternal life. He is the great I am. And he seeks worshipers. He seeks you and I, people, relationship, and people who will worship him in the spirit and in truth. And he saves. Let's drink to that, Sarah.